Good morning, EBC family and friends. Thank you all for joining us today here in the sanctuary and those who are visiting with us via live stream. It is a good day to be alive. It's good to know Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I thank God for each one of you all joining with us today. Let's go uh, back to our base scripture in Ephesians, the third chapter. And we're going to begin at reading at verse number six, Ephesians chapter three, verse number six. It's good to be in the house of worship one more time. Glory to God. Hallelujah. The text says this, and this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news, which is what's another word for good news? Or good news, another word for what? The gospel, okay? Uh, Share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessing because they belong to Christ. By God's grace and mighty power, I've been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news, of spreading his gospel. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. I've been telling y'all, go start asking your Christian friends, what is the mystery of Christ? What is the mystery of the church? What is the mystery of the faith? And some of them are going to give you blank stares, but you ought to know. I said, you ought to know. I said, those who are studying with us on Wednesday should know, and you should, if you've been paying attention on Sunday, you should know what the mystery of the church is. You should know what the, God's mysterious plan is. He says, I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. Verse 10 says what? God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is the Apostle Paul writing to this predominantly Gentile church uh, in Ephesus. And he's talking about God's plan for his church. And that's what we have uh, named this series, God's plan for his church. Everybody repeat that. We say God's plan for his church. Say it one more time. Say God's plan for his church. Say not my church, not our church, but his church. Now, guys, we, we, we've studied and we've, we came to this point where we recognized that, that it was God's plan to bring all ethnicities together into one body. That's the body of Christ. We discovered that this gospel was preached to Abraham aforetime back in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis, the 12th chapter. We saw that where God told Abram, which is named at the time, that you're going to be the father of many nations, of many nationalities, of many ethnicities. Through your seed, the promised seed, Jesus Christ coming down through 42 generations, being born in a manger in Bethlehem, through that, through his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross, then my, my, my 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 love for mankind will be manifest manifested for everyone to see that through his death, burial, and resurrection, each one of us can have a relationship with him and we'll come together to create a new ethnicity. No longer just Jew and Gentile, but it's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Y'all got that, right? But we saw that as the church began to explode and grow, 
Amen. As Paul, the apostle Paul, uh, after the day of Pentecost had taken place and then Paul, amen, gets saved in Acts the ninth chapter, he was given the responsibility of revealing God's mysterious plan to the Jews and the Gentiles. He was given that responsibility. And guess what, guys? He caught a lot of flack, amen, for promoting God's and, and pushing God's plan for his church. Just like even today, some get and, and will get, and you will too, amen, when you get to talk to the right people and you share with them what God is teaching you, you may catch some flax from some of your relatives. You may catch some flax from some of your church members. But guys, here's what I want to ask you the question. Who would you rather obey, God or man? Who would you rather be okay with, God or your cousin, them? Who would you rather be right with, God or your fellow church member who got, who got, got some issues with God's plan for his church? I don't know about you, but I'm going to be right with God. And guys, this thing is, this, this thing is, is, is so uh, important for us to realize that God wants to use the unity of the church to show the world his love and the, and the legitimacy of his son, Jesus Christ, having died on the cross for our sins. I want to read something to you guys that I, that I, that I read this week. And, and y'all just bear with me because it, it's a little bit lengthy, but I think it's, it bears repeating. I was reading this article by uh, Ed Stetzer in, in USA Today. Uh, and he's, Ed is the executive director of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. And he says, this, he says, as executive director of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center, one of my joys is leading people through our museum. He says, filled with historical artifacts and pictures, it's a testimony to God's faithfulness. One of my favorite pictures is of Billy Graham standing next to Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, uh, he says, I start by telling people how, how Graham took down segregation ropes uh, for his messages in the South. Because he would have crusades in the South, but, but a lot of crusades in the South had segregated seating. And so Graham told him to take those ropes down. But now listen to, this, listen to the rest of it. He says, but the story doesn't stop there. Historian Grant Wacker notes that as the civil rights movement intensified, Graham distanced himself from King by attempting to chart a moderate path. He says decades later, Graham himself would speak of his lack of engagement in the civil rights movement as one of his greatest regrets. Listen to that. He says the same story of engagement, retreat, uh, the same story of engagement, Retreat and regret has come to define an evangelical culture that is bigger than Billy Graham. For more than a century, the broader evangelical movement has been in a cycle of engagement when opportunities arise, retreat when pressures and obstacles intensify, and regret at the failure to achieve any lasting change. Listen to that again. Regret at the failure to achieve any lasting change. Worse, he says, the burden of this regret too frequently falls on evangelicals of color as they are left abandoned only to be greeted with new promises for the next cycle. In this context, the evangelical movement embarked on its newest episode recently when evangelist and writer Josh McDowell stepped away from his ministry after making comments about race on September 18 at a meeting of the American Association of Christian Counselors. McDowell released a statement seeking to be honest about his comments and apologize for his error. McDowell said this, I want to begin by apologizing for my words and the implications they had. My statement started by saying I do not believe blacks, African Americans, and many other minorities have equal opportunity. And I do believe that. 
He says, racism has kept equality from being achieved within our nation. When I said that most minorities grew up in families where there is not a big emphasis on education and security, I made a generalized statement that does not reflect reality. I apologize and reiterate my Christian love for all races, nationalities, and people groups. He says, my desire is that we as Christians would deal with both racism and inequality as the sins that they are in order to restore unity and equality that God desires for all. McDowell has written a lot of, lot of uh, uh, Christian books that have been very beneficial and helpful to me and others across this country. Uh, but he, he says something out of, out of line, and he came back and apologized for it. He says, in an age of denial, McDowell's apology is an instructive model on owning the causality of our words and actions in other people's harm. Yet the episode may be, may be an instructive example of the broader and often cyclical challenge the evangelical movement faces in making lasting progress around issues of race. Guys, what I am after and what God is after through helping us to understand what his church is all about is he knows that it's going to take the love of Christ coming together in the lives of the believers to show the world how to get along. And if the church can't get it right, I've said it before, the world won't get it right. Uh, listen, listen to what Stetson says. He says, as this discussion intensifies, he says, let me offer three reflections on what we can learn as we try to break out from this pattern. You know, this pattern, people will talk about racial issues when something big happens in society. And then we talk about it for a while, then what, what, what happens? We go back to our own corners, keep doing life as we've always done it. But what I'm here to tell you today is God is tired of us. He's tired of his church not taking the lead role in being his church. He's tired of his church sitting on the sideline and saying, well, well, we're just going to love God and just, just love each other and come to church. But we're not engaged in showing what true transformation looks like. Listen, to this. he gave three reflections. The first one was this. He says, altering power. He says, learning involves altering the dynamics of power. He says, the murder of George Floyd last year by a Minneapolis police officer did more to ignite the conversation around systemic racism in America and in the evangelical movement than anything else in my lifetime. Suddenly, many evangelicals who had avoided issues of race were asking questions and looking for leaders to speak out. While many voices rose to the occasion, too often white evangelicals were often more eager to speak about race issues than to listen to those on the receiving end of racism. He goes on to say this. He says, listening without empowering others to speak authoritatively will never produce real change. He says, to truly learn requires that white evangelical leaders shift the dynamics of power existing within our networks, institutions, and relationships so as to ensure brothers and sisters of color can speak into our lives. It's not enough to simply be quiet. He said we need to listen and to learn. Everybody say listen and learn. The second reflection point he made was the greatest obstacles to evangelicalism are internal to the movement. He says in writing on the evangelical movement for nearly 20 years, a recurring truth is that its biggest problem is not from external subversion, to be sure, there are many non-Christian leaders or ideologies that threaten to co-opt the mission of the church. However, he says, the greatest obstacle to flourishing of the evangelical movement, particularly in regards to substantively engaging our failings on race, have arisen from within. He says, really, the true problem is, it's us in the church. 
It's not necessarily them out there, but when we in the church face up to the issues on both sides, black and white, there is racism on both sides. Everybody repeat me, there's racism. Oh, you don't want to say it? It's true. There is racism on both sides because there's sin on both sides. Well, I say both sides, there's multiple sides. Can I get away with it? It's more than just black and white. There's Hispanic, there's Asian, there's all kinds of ethnicities in this world. But he says, he says, the greatest obstacle comes from within. And I, I, I'm going to skip forward, but I would challenge you to go read the third point he made was this. And because he's talking about the fact that, that many times in the church, I got to read, he says, when church leaders reduce complex ideas to simplistic buzzwords, the end result is always irrational fear and suspicion rather than honest dialogue. He talks about the fact that, you know, CRT, critical race theories, is the buzz, is the boogeyman. Now, now again, critical, critical race theories, uh, I would challenge you to go listen to Tony Evans' explanation of, of, of critical race theory and what that, what that means. And, but I don't have time to get into the day. But the problem is, is that, uh, you know, people have last hope an academic exercise and a pull that into the discussion and they fail to go to the Bible to see what the Bible has to say about ethnicity and racism. Can I get a witness? His third point was this. Learning involves, uh, uh, the third point was uh, a biblical understanding of race is not silent or neutral, but it's celebratory. He said a biblical understanding of race is not silent or neutral, but it is celebratory. He said where, where McDowell is correct and where evangelicals, evangelicals can find unity is in looking to the scripture as the lens for understanding race. And that's what we've been doing, guys. I told you, we're not going to get into a political argument. We're not going to talk about whether or not you're a Democrat or Republican. I want to know if you're a Christian and if you are a follower of God's word. And once we know what God's word says, then we are obligated to follow his word. Are y'all with me today? Don't argue with people about some, some academic exercise. Go to the word of God and say, let's see what God's word says about us. How do we become his church? How do we fulfill his plan for his church? Everybody says God's church. He says, as Christians, we believe God's word is sufficient to teach us how to relate to one another. I believe it is. And our reconciliation with Christ is what opens the door for reconciliation with each other. I got to repeat that. He says, our reconciliation with Christ is what opens the door for reconciliation with each other. Guys, the church has to get it right before society gets it right. Now, I told you, uh, you know, last couple of weeks, talking about the fact that there's some lessons that we learned from the first major church to speak. Because, guys, listen to me. Paul, when he shared his testimony, I shared with you before, when he shared his testimony about how he got saved, and he said, when he said, God sent me to the Gentile, then all hell broke loose. What he was saying is God sent me to a different ethnic group. And if you go and study all his letters, Paul was constantly in jail, uh, constantly being beat, brought before people because he was doing something that was out of the ordinary. He was fulfilling, helping fulfill God's plan for his church. Now, we talked about the fact that uh, we learned some things from that and and. We, we realized that when, when the church began to grow, you had these different groups coming in, and so it was friction. There was things that were happening that was causing discord in the church. And so the, the first church council began to address those things. Now, I told you on last week, we're going to pick back up. Uh, we said uh, 
your inner spiritual transformation always shows itself in outward fruit. Everybody make a person say, my inner spiritual transformation always, say always, shows itself in outward fruit. Baby, if there's no fruit being shown in your life, nothing has happened on the inside. Okay? We got to stop excusing ourselves and stop excusing why we are not obeying the word of God and, and, and say, you know what? Maybe true transformation has not taken place on the inside. If I have a problem with calling a Caucasian uh, Christian my brother, then I got a problem on the inside. If I got a, if you are a Caucasian have, have, trob, have problem calling your African-American Christian your brother in Christ, you got a problem. Let me come this side of here. You got a problem. And this study is revealing your problem because you're feeling a certain kind of way. I ain't talking to y'all right there. I'm talking to folks on the camera. Okay? They look at me, I ain't said nothing, Pastor. <laughs> they look at me like, okay. We, now, my point is this, guys. The word of God will reveal our heart. It's like a mirror. A mirror that shows us ourselves. That's what James says. And sometimes what we see in the mirror ain't too pretty. How many of y'all ladies ever got up and had a bad hair day? Let me see, ladies. You, you couldn't get that thing to flip the way it needed to flip, and you just threw a ball cap on. Can I get the, ladies, have y'all had a hair? Some of y'all ladies have cut it short. You say, baby, I ain't got to worry about it no more. I just get up in the morning. Just. <laughs> and y'all look good. Come on. Hey, hey, you look good. You ain't got to fool with all that stuff, okay? How many of y'all remember straightening combs and perms and somebody said oh lord <laughs> your inner spiritual transformation always shows itself in outward fruit the apostle paul let's go to romans the 12th chapter the apostle paul which we left out close close out his letter to the saints in rome by giving an extended exhortation for believers to live out their salvation i told you this, this turmoil and the, and, and the stuff that was happening in the church had to be addressed and the, and the Jerusalem council addressed it. They came to a compromise. Are y'all with, they didn't compromise the word of God, but they compromised some things that were, that were, that were uh, near and dear to each one of the different ethnicities that were coming together into this new entity called the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul speaks of the Christian's duty to, to three areas. And we said, first of all, it's duties to God. Do this to governmental authorities and do this to other people. Those three areas. Uh, do this to God, do this to governmental authorities, and do this to other people. I shared with you on last week that as we unpack the Christian's duty, we said it, our duties to God is in this 12th chapter of Romans, Paul uh, begins to uh, tell us how to behave. He begins to tell us how to walk it out. And we said it involved three steps. We said, number one, you give your body to God. Everybody said, I got to give my body to God. First Corinthians 6 chapter, real quick, verse number 19. First Corinthians 6, verse number 19. Because guys, we, before coming to Christ, how many of y'all use your body to do some stuff that, was, that, that, that the devil would be proud of you? How many of y'all put some stuff in your body? 
I didn't see a hand go up. How many of y'all put some stuff in your body that was not God honoring? Do I need to go call some of your college buddies? How many of y'all did some stuff with your body that was explicitly against what God told you to do? Raise them up. (laughs) See, here's the problem. Many of us as Christians, when God delivers us, we don't like to tell our story. Because we're afraid of what people are going to think about us because of the way we used to be. Because of what God has delivered us from. You did that. I promise you, if we were to play everybody's life on this big screen back here, starting in this corner over here, (laughs) and going all the way across here, this church would clear out by the time we get to you, Gary, (laughs) for fear of embarrassment. All right, all right, all right. Y'all want to play me this morning because I got to talk to you like, like I'm your pastor, okay? <laughs> How many of you got some stuff? Let me, let me get personal. I got some stuff that I don't want played on the screen. I got some stuff that I thank God that he covered me. I thank God that he forgave me. I'm, I'll admit that. The problem that many Christians have is, is we won't tell our story. But here's one thing I've been saying for the last 15, 20 years or so. I said, whatever happens in our life ought to be available for God to use to reach somebody else. The Apostle Paul did not back down from telling his story. He told how he persecuted the church. He told how he sat, sat, stood by and watched them stone Stephen to death and held the clothes of, of, of Stephen's executioners who they, ex, they executed Stephen for simply preaching the gospel. Paul told how he, what he did. He shared his story because when we see the power of deliverance, it has impact Amen. In helping others know that there is a God who's able to deliver them from whatever they're going through. That addiction that you had, God delivered you from that addiction. That lying spirit that you had, that prideful self that you had, that nobody could help you. You're prideful. I'm I'm my own man. Pride and unforgiveness. When God delivers you, when he says, tell it, tell it. Hello? Hello? And, and, and thank God that he doesn't tell us to tell everything. But there's parts of our story that God wants us to tell. So somebody else can be delivered. But now watch. So, so we did some things with our body. He said, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. Keep reading. For God brought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. That means that this flesh that I'm encased in, I can't let it do whatever it feels like doing. Because how many of y'all know, even though you're saved, your flesh is still your flesh? Even though you're saved, come on. Can I put it this way? 
even though you're saved, you still like men, ladies, ladies, ladies. This is not, it's, not, it's not a trick. I'm not trying to trick you. But, but, but if you're a female, uh, the natural order is for you to like men. The unnatural order is for you to like other women. Paul described in Romans 1 as unnatural affection. So whether it's, I told you the other week, I said affection. You know, God made us beautiful creatures. So attraction in and of itself is not sin. I said attraction in and of itself is not sin. It's what you do with the attraction determines whether or not it becomes sin. It is natural for a man to be attracted to a woman. Now, all of us have different attractions of what type of woman we want. And all of us have different attractions of what type of men we want. I mean, talk about women, men. I have to explain that nowadays. And I explain that as a as a Bible preaching pastor who loves everybody. Okay? And 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 whether or not you have an attraction that's that's not natural and you're still trying to push through and love God, we're gonna we're loving you too. We want to help you get, get, get to God's plan for your life, okay? So so all all of us have attractions, but we gotta figure out what to do with those attractions. And that's a part of honoring God with our body. How, all of us may have some stuff that we used to do and we enjoy doing it while we're doing it. Sin is pleasurable for a season until it breaks open and the season is over and that woman who you thought was the best thing since slight, sliced light bread is now hell on earth. Well. Or that man who you thought, that man who, you, who you, you disowned your whole family for, everybody saw it but you. Everybody saw it but you because you were head over heels and not looking. How many of y'all ever been blinded like that? How many of y'all ever had your mind blown by a guy, ladies? You couldn't even see his faults. There's a, there's a song that said, God looked beyond our fault and saw our need. You looked uh, look beyond his fault and gave him all what he wanted to need. But now your eyes are open. Thank God that your eyes are open. Hopefully you got wisdom. Because let me tell you something. If you keep picking the same type of guy, it ain't really the guy's fault anymore. You ever notice that you keep end up with the same kind of dude or the same kind of lady? You got to evaluate yourself. What is it about me that, 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 that keeps attracting attracting to toxic relationships what am I missing what 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 happened in my family of origin that causes me to seek for love in anywhere I can get it even in toxic relationships guys for God bought you with a high price so you must honor God with your body and with your spirit which belongs to him all right so so uh, you give God your body you give him your mind and you give him your will all right, that's in Romans, the 12th chapter. We, be, we talked about those. So let, let's move to this next point. So, so, so we, we, if we're going to be faithful and true in our duties to God, we've got to give him our, our, our body, our mind, and our will. 
Your will, you have to release that to God. You have to surrender your will to God. God will not take your will. God will not come and make you get saved. As a matter of fact, God won't make you do his word. You have to submit your will to his will. And his will is laid out in his word. Okay? That's why we will always be a Bible teaching and a Bible believing church. We will not be a, a, a political teaching church. Because politics change with the wind, baby. I'm going to stay with truth. Okay? So, so, so whether or not your political platform lines up with the word of God or not, uh, you know, you got to vote for somebody. I understand that. But, but when it comes to declaring what's right and what's wrong, we're going to base it off scripture and not what our politician says. Is that fair enough? Is that fair enough? All right? So, so let's look at this next point. Uh, we said we got a... Uh, our, our Christian duty is, is, is first to God. And then second thing is we have a duty to governmental authorities. Let's go to Romans the 13 chapter. Let me start reading the verse number one. Now this is something that's going to be, I, I want y'all to listen to me real carefully. Paul begins to write here. And I told you the way he writes his letters, you can look at all of them. He starts out by giving you doctrine, what you are to believe. Okay. So that you can have a solid foundation. We need to know what we believe. That's why we're teaching. That's why we're going through a, 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 our studies with small groups to give you an opportunity to, to have interaction. And we're studying the scripture. We're going through the scripture and letting the scripture speak to us and not what we feel and what we think. Okay? We've discovered that God's plan for his church has, 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 was revealed in the New Testament. And Paul is the primary purveyor of that as far as writing these letters to these different churches uh, to bring uh, uh, ethnically diverse people into one body. Guys, this, this should not be something that's strange or something that's rare because it was God's plan from the beginning. The church in America in particular uh, got sideways and crossways. We know the history. We know why we, we know the why behind the what. And it's okay to talk about the why behind the what so that those who don't know the why can understand why, how we got to where we are today. Okay? And I don't feel, you know, feeling bad about history is, is uh, you know, it's history. It's what happened. Let's not run from it. Let's study it. Let's understand it so that we won't repeat it. The bad stuff, I mean. And again, talking about history doesn't mean that you're being unpatriotic or un-American. It's just speaking about truth. Amen? So, watch this. In in, it says, uh, the Apostle Paul commanded believers to be submissive to the government because authority is ordained of God. Let's go. Romans 13, verse number one. Can we, are y'all ready? Let's read. Everyone must what? Who's writing here? Who's he writing to? The church at Rome, the saints at Rome. He's writing to the saints at Rome. He's right at the time that he's writing this, I think Nero was the emperor. Nero was one of the most dastardly, evil men to ever walk the face of this earth. He was emperor in Rome, I believe, at the time that Paul is writing this. Yet and still, notice what Paul says. Everyone must submit to governing authorities. For all authority comes from God. Is that what he says? Can we read it together? Let's read it together. For all authority comes from God and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Is that what it says? 
So watch this. Look, look at the next verse. Come on, let's go. So, so anyone who rebels against authority, talking about government authority, is rebelling against what God has instituted and they will be what? Punished. Now guys, uh, the thing that happened back in Jan- on January the 6th of this year, that was rebellion against God. I don't care if you, if you carried a flag that had a cross on it. Whenever you, vi- first of all, when you trespass, that's violating uh, the law of the land. And when you go in and disrupt and start beating people, eventually leading to people's death, and you, you're saying that I'm a believer and I'm standing for Christ, the Bible says, so anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and they will be punished. I don't care who's in office. The Bible says when we rebel, rebel against government authority, we're rebelling against whom? Let's keep reading. And, and he also says you'll be punished, right? For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. Now, guys, we know that there are government authorities in this, in this world that, that are wicked and cruel. As a matter of fact, Paul, even later on, when he was writing to Peter, said the very same thing, and, and, and he, was, uh, he was actually in jail because of preaching the gospel. But yet he still didn't back off of what he says. There are three institutions that God put into the earth realm. Okay? Uh, the family the church, and government. Those are the three institutions that God places in the earth realm so that men, mankind, could live in harmony. You guys see this happen all the time. If there is no governmental authority, people will go wild. All right, let a tornado come through here and we all evacuate and have to leave your this area right here, and and see what will happen. Because people are sinful. Sin is in the heart of man. And if if you don't have some type of entity corralling the sinful nature that's prevalent in mankind, that sinful nature will break out in evil. Looting, rioting, it'll happen. You see it happen? That's why they bring in the National Guard when a hurricane takes place and the city is vacant because people will come back and start taking stuff. Evil is in the heart of man. So first of all, we got to recognize that, that there is even some stuff we, talk, we blame on everything, but what it is, it's evil and sin in the heart of man. Okay? Do what is right and they will honor you. Next verse says what? Let's read. It says, uh, the authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course, you should be afraid for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. Next verse says what? Let's read. So you must submit to them. Watch this. Not only to avoid punishment, but also to what? To keep a what? You must also do what? Let's read again. I need y'all to read this with me. Come on, let's go. So you must submit to them. Who is them? Those who are in government authority. Whether you voted for them or not, they're your governor. Whether you voted for them or not, 
they're your president. Stop saying, man, that's your president. I'm talking to Christians now. See, some of y'all have been saying this stuff. When Trump was in office, some of y'all stopped praying for the office of the presidency. Now that Biden is in office, some of y'all stop praying for the office of the presidency. The Bible says pray for those who have authority and rulership over you. It didn't say whether they're Republican or Democrat. I'm, I'm getting back. God says we have a duty to government authorities. So, all right, watch this. The government authorities give this. I don't like wearing this thing. I hate wearing this thing. But if the government authority mandates that I wear it in public places, even though I physically don't want to wear it, guess what I do? I wear it because uh, it's a Democrat or Republican. No, no, I wear it because of what this says right here. And you can't take part of the Bible and believe that and leave this part out. So you must submit to them. Not only to avoid punishment, but it says also to keep a clear closet because when you don't do that, you're actually in sin. You don't, you may not like it. And guess what, guys? Wearing a mask is not sinful. It would be different if the government authority told you to do something that was against God's will. And we'll see that. We're going to see that in the book of Daniel. I love Daniel, man. Daniel was, a, Daniel was my dude. <laughs> Daniel, Daniel and those three Hebrew boys, man, they stood in faith and, and they refused to follow the order that violated what God had told them. So wearing a mask is not against, it's, it's not against the Bible. And here's what people say. Well, I have my freedoms. I told you as a Christian, you're not, you, you, you live under kingdom principles. And as a Christian, it is not about your freedom. It's about what your kingdom of responsibility is. Church in America has gotten, has, 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 has got it twisted because we think that, that church is like a democracy. We're going to vote whether or not to go out and try to save people. Vote to go save people? What's wrong with you? That is God's directive and command for us as a church. Well, let's vote if we're going to help somebody. Vote to help somebody? The word of God tells us to do just that. So you must submit to them not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. Why are you doing what you do? Let me ask you a question. If you could go in the store, and this is, this is a far-fetched example, so don't get offended when I say this, but if you could go in the store and walk out, whatever, walk out with whatever you want to walk out with without paying for it, without fear of being punished, would you go do that? Somebody say yes. Some of y'all looking like that's a trick question, Pastor. Here's my point. Why are you not doing certain things? Are you not, are you not, are you not talking to that side chick because you're afraid you may get discovered by your spouse? Or are you not talking to that side chick because it's against God's will? 
and your conscience is being violated and, and you know that you're sinning if you do so. You know, the, the old adage, you know, people have made this statement, uh, you know, uh, if given the chance, and I don't know why we say stupid stuff, stupid stuff like this, we, we do it. If given the chance, would you sleep with such and such, such for a million dollars? Or if you had a chance to one night to spend one night alone with Beyonce, would you do it? As if because she's Beyonce, that makes it a tempting thing for you. And I'm not saying attraction is there. But would you not do it because you're afraid you're going to get caught? Or would you not do it because God says it's wrong to commit adultery? What's the why behind your what? I would submit to you that some folks are not sinning because they're afraid they're going to get caught. But they, if they find themselves in, a, in, a, in, a, in an isolated place, they'll, they will jump head on into sin because they're thinking nobody's watching. But y'all got to, we, all got, we all got to remember, God sits high, but guess what? He looks low. He's observing everything that we do. He's with us as born-again believers. He said he'd never leave us nor forsake us. So wherever we go, God is there with us. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid a punishment, but also to keep what? A clear conscience. Now, let's read on down through verse number seven, and I want to I go to Acts 5. So he said, watch what he says. He says, pay your taxes. Two, also. Pay your two. Pay your two. Pay your taxes. For these same reasons. For government workers need to be paid. See, some of us don't even think about how many of us are government workers and how many of us are getting paid through tax dollars. So if everybody just start cheating and stop paying their taxes, teachers won't get paid. Firemen and policemen won't get paid. EMT workers won't get paid. Pay your taxes. Look at the neighbor and say, neighbor, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and render to God what is God's. Give Caesar his taxes and give God his tithe and offerings. That's what the word says. Okay? So pay your taxes for, for, for these same reasons. For government workers need to be paid. They are serving God. They are serving God. They are, they are serving God in what they do. And guys, my wife had to correct me on this because sometimes you can get cynical if you watch too much television. And I, and I said one time, you know what? Politicians lie. And they do, but not every one of them does. So we may have a politician. If I say politicians lie, then that means, where is T- Tiffany Manning? is a politician. She's on the board of aldermen here in the town of Benning, one of our members. So what if I got a politician sitting in the audience and I just haul off make a statement, politicians lie. And you may have a politician sitting right there and he said, but pastor, I don't lie. Now, the, 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 it, if you're going to be a politician, you, you're going to have to learn how to compromise because you won't get everything your way. All right? It just doesn't happen that way because you got other people with, from other areas that want different stuff. But guys, we got we, we to be careful. He says, they are serving God, God and what they do. Next verse says what? Let's read. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them and give respect and honor. Now, here, here, here's where I want to, I, I got to punch you in the, in the gut right now. 
Can, I, can y'all take a gut punch? Ooh, Pastor, why? Oh, Pastor, why you gave it to me? It says this, and give respect and honor to those who are in authority. Is that what it says? Now, I want to ask you a question. If it wasn't the guy that you voted for, if it's a guy that you don't like, do you give them respect and honor? The Bible says, don't care if you're a Democrat, Republican, or a Green Party member. He says, y'all are quiet because y'all, y'all are guilty of sin. <laughs> Just like I have been in the past. But when you read this, what does it say? You, you, you give him respect and honor to those who thought those who are in that position. You got to respect the authority, the position. You may not have voted for the mayor, but you got to respect the office of the mayor. You may not have voted for the police chief, but you got to respect the office of the police chief. If you're going to be biblical, if you're not going to sin. I'm just telling you what Paul said. Now, Paul said this, guys, when oftentimes the government authority he was writing about were, were the Jews used the government authority to come after him, told lies on him, so they would think that he's trying to have, a, have a, uh, uh, an insurrection or something, and they came and threw him in jail. Go to Daniel, the third chapter. See, guys, we respect authority. But, that, but if that authority, now, before you go there, go to Acts 5. Go to Acts 5 in verse number 29. As long as that government authority is not telling you to sin against God's revealed word. Acts the fifth chapter. And we'll see if we can get that right quick. Acts chapter five. Are y'all still tracking with me? This is a quiet message this morning. And I knew it would get quiet because some of y'all don't like to wear your mask. But I thank you for wearing your mask here. You, you, you're, you're obedient to authority. Let me tell you how, 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 how it, can, it can work on the best. When we were visiting Brother Al back, um, in um, California back in July. One of the churches that we visited, one of them didn't require masks and the other one did require masks. But if this, this, this was at the time where, you know, nationally they were saying, okay, it's okay. You're free this summer. It's Independence Day. We're free. You can take the mask off. And so I came from here. We were not wearing masks. And guys, guess what? When I got to that church that required masks, even though we had the freedom not to wear hair. I felt a certain kind of way. I kind of like foot. Been wearing masks all this time, and, 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 and now they, they told us from, from the national on down that we, we okay, it's okay, it's safe for us to, to, to not wear them. But, they, but if I'm going to go to that church, and that's what that church requires, then if I go in there with an attitude, even if I wear my mask and got an attitude about it, God is looking at my heart because I have to submit to the authority of that place that I'm going into. If I go into a place of business and they ask me to wear a mask, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to wear a mask. I'm not going in and argue with the clerk. That clerk may be working $8 an hour and you sit up there arguing and fussing with them. They didn't make the decision. But you're wrong as a Christian. Hear me carefully. You're wrong as a Christian when you roll your dusty tail self up in there and give people a problem because they have decided that's what they want their establishment to run like. I can't come and tell you how to run your business, and you can't come and tell me how to run mine. Especially when they're following a governmental mandate. Are y'all clear on that? Now, you can say what you want to say, but I just gave you Bible. What are you going to do with the word? Well, you know, we think, I ain't actually what you think. What does the word say? 
Watch this. This is, this is when they, they, Peter and them were being told, don't, 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 don't you, uh, don't preach in the name of Jesus any longer. Okay? Um, let, let's go back. Uh, if, if you will, come on, let's go back to uh, uh, verse number 21. Go, go to verse number 21 of Acts, the fifth chapter. Come on, we got to move. Y'all still track with me? I got a few more minutes, but we're going to, so, so we, we, you, do, you do understand that we have a responsibility as Christians, whether we voted for a person or not, to respect that office. And when we don't do that, we're out of the will of God. I, I, I'm just reading what the word says. It says this, so at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple as they were told, and immediately began teaching. When high priest and his officials arrived, they convened the high council, the full assembly of the elders of the Israel. Then they sent for the apostles to be brought from jail, from the jail for, for trial. Next verse says what? Because they've been throwing them in jail for what? Preaching the gospel. Uh, but when the temple guards went to jail, went to the jail, the men were gone. So they returned to the council and reported. Watch this, because you know, a miracle took place, okay? The jail was securely locked with the guards standing outside, but when we opened the gates, no one was there. Next verse says, when the captain of the temple guard and the leading priest heard this, they were perplexed, wondering where it would all end. Next verse says this, then someone arrived with startling news. The men you put in jail are standing in the temple teaching the people. They threw him in jail because of, the, because of this very thing. He says, the captain went with his temple guards and arrested the apostles, but without violence, for they were afraid the people would stone them. Next verse says what? Then they brought the apostles before the high council where the high priest confronted them. Text says this, we gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name. What man is that? The name of Jesus. He says, instead you have filled all of Jerusalem with your teaching about him and you want to make us responsible for his death. Look at verse number 25, 29. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. When that human authority is telling you to do something that's against God's revealed word, then now we are to obey God rather than obey man. If you go to Daniel, the third chapter, and you begin to look at how uh, the, the king Nebuchadnezzar had, had made a decree uh, that, that, you know, he made this golden statue, and every time the music was played, you had to bow down to that statue. Uh, but notice what Daniel said. Let's go to Daniel, the third chapter right quick, okay? Daniel, chapter number three. So now, again... I'm just talking about, this is one simple example. This mass is not sinful. This is not against God's will. Okay? So if your government authority where you abide asks you to do that, then as a Christian, you should do that. Not for fear of punishment, but, 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 but for conscience sakes, Paul says. Okay? Look at verse number one. Go to verse one. Come on, hurry, hurry. Third chapter. Daniel chapter three, verse number one. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and nine, and nine feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Text says, then he sent messengers to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the prov- provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. Text says this, so all these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now watch this. Then, he heard, then a herald shout out, people of all races and nations and language, Listen to the king's command. Text says this. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, 
zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments bowed to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Text says this, anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Text says this, so at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, wherever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshiped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Keep reading, let's go. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. God's chosen people who were in Babylonian captivity. They were out of their homeland in captivity and they were being told to do something that was against what God had already told them. They said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. Buttering up. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, flute, zephyr, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. I wonder how many of y'all are willing to go through the fire to be obedient to God. I wonder how many Christians in this building right now who are willing to say, I know what God's word says. I know what y'all are saying, but that's not God's word. I know how we were brought up, but that's not what God's word says. I want to know how many of y'all are willing to take ridicule and to be talked about for being biblical. Mm-hmm. How many of y'all are willing to say, listen, I, I'm going to treat everybody the same regardless of how they look on the outside because that's God's will and plan for his church. Yeah, yeah. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods. There it is. And do not worship the gold statue you have set up. How many of y'all are getting ridiculed for not worshiping the idol god of politics? The idol god of ethnicity. I'm going to go with you because we're the same ethnicity. It don't matter if you're wrong, but I'm going to stick with you because, no, no, if, if you're not right, I'm going to call out your, your, your non-rightness. And we're going to talk about it. We're going to show you the word and let's get in line with God's word. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they brought, brought in, look, look what the text says. Watch it. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I've set up? Watch it. He says, I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I've made when you hear the sound of the musical instrument. But if you refuse, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Got, kind of got a big head, doesn't it? Shabbat, Michigan, the big go reply to over Nebuchadnezzar. We don't need to defend ourselves before you. Look at what it says. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is what? How many of y'all know God is able? The God we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. Next verse says what? But even if he doesn't, we won't. We, hey, even if God don't deliver me, he says, we want to make it clear to you, your, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. How many of y'all know sometimes we, 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 we pray for God to deliver us out of the fiery furnace? We pray for God to deliver us out of the lion's den. And that may be sometime when God says, you're going to go through the furnace. You're going to get burned, but I'm going to be with you as you go through the furnace. 
I'm not going to deliver you out because I'm going to teach you something. I'm going to burn some stuff out of you as you go through this trial. Some stuff we're trying to get out of. God said, no, 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 Sherry, you got to go through it because I'm trying to burn some stuff out of you. I'm trying to burn some stuff out of you, Gary, because I'm going to be there with you. It's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt. People are going to talk about you. People are going to want to leave you. They want to hang around you. But I am with you. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Meshach a minute ago that his face became distorted with red. Y'all, how many of y'all ever so mad that his face get ugly? He said it was distorted with rage. It just looked all crazy. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than you. Come on, keep reading. Everybody say, God is able. But no, these boys says, yo, God is able to save, but even if he doesn't, if he don't save us out of the fire front, we're still not going to serve an out of God. How many of y'all only serve God because of what he can do for you? You know, that's, that's the kind of Christianity that's, that's floating in America today. We, you know, it, it's about God help me get the American dream. I'm blessed if I got a big house in the suburbs. How many of y'all willing to suffer for the cause of Christ? How many of y'all are willing to go through to stand for what is true? We got too, too few Christians who wouldn't do that. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. Watch this, guys. So they, lift, so they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. Text says, and because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. Everybody said, that's hot. Next verse says, so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his device, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Next verse says, look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. KJV, go to the KJV. On I like what the KJV said, bro, Jay. If you can pop that up real quick. Notice what he says here, guys. Watch it, watch it, watch it, man. It says, he, he, he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like what? The Son of God. How did Nebuchadnezzar know about the Son of God? See, Jesus, our Savior, this didn't come in a manger in Bethlehem. He's always existed. Here we see the pre-incarnate Christ coming in to the middle of the fiery furnace and delivering these boys because they stood on truth. So when government tells you to do something that's not in line with God's word, we, we, we got to obey God rather than government. But if government is telling you to do something that's not against God's word, we are obligated to do what our governing authorities tell us. Hello? Are y'all with me? If government authorities tell you, okay, you put, you put into this lot, we need you to turn your lights off of bright. I ain't going to turn them off bright. I need to be able to see. What? How many of y'all, when, when a policeman is directing traffic and trying to get you to go one way, you try to go the other way because it's a short, shorter trip? How many of y'all have been in a situation where, where somebody's telling you to do something? Don't, don't come through that door, but come through this other door. And how many of y'all have gotten mad at the usher? <laughs> Bless the usher out because the usher was doing what their leadership had told them to do. 
See, God watches that kind of stuff. So we have a duty to obey governing authorities. We, don't, we, don't, we may not agree with it, but we have a duty to obey. As long as it's not telling us to do something that's against God's will. And guys, we're going we're gonna to pick back up on next week because we're going to talk about that third component, talking about other people. Now, therein lies the real problem. Well, we, we got a problem in our duties to God by giving ourselves to him, you know, giving our body, our minds, and our will to him. We struggle with that sometimes. And we struggle with government sometimes, but we really struggle with other people. And we're going to see, as we've talked about and what was happening, as these, these different ethnicities are coming together into one body, now we get, as we, you read Romans now, and you begin to see it with a different lens now because this is all a part of Paul trying to get the church to be in unity. Okay? So we're talking about other people. Because the truth be told, most of our problems that we have is we say it's other people. Pastor, if I had to deal with people, I'd be all right. Well, baby, let me tell you something. If you're going to go with God, you got to deal with people. God saved you to deal with people. So let's learn how to do it the right way. Everybody, everybody close. Father, we thank you.